Good morning. Let's open our Bibles this morning to Acts chapter 21. Acts 21, verses 26 through 40. That's our text. The topic there, while being carried to safety up the stairs, the Apostle Paul asks permission to share the gospel with the mob that nearly beat him to death. The title of our message, in case of riot, use stairs. <laughs> Verse 26, then Paul took the men and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help! This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place. For they had previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple. And all the city was disturbed, and the people ran together, seized Paul, and dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. Now as they were seeking to kill him, News came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions, ran down to them, and when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains, and he asked who he was and what he had done. Some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. When he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob. For the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. Then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? He replied, can you speak Greek? Are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? But Paul said, I am a Jew from Tarshish in Cilicia, a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. So when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs, motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. This fantastic episode and and his time on the stairway there, Lord, talking to these individuals. I pray that we would just lock into it and receive from it all of the understanding that we need in order to go about the business of being uh, folks who reveal Jesus Christ to others. If there are people here this morning, Lord, that don't know you, reveal that to them so that their heart may be drawn to you so that they would be born again by your Holy Spirit so that they would become men and women, sons and daughters of God and on their way to heaven. We pray for your believers, Lord, for us that, that have known you, that you would give us insight for living our lives in a way that's pleasing to you. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name and all those who agreed said, amen. <coughs> Obi-Wan warned Anakin. It was in episode three during the climactic lightsaber fight. He said, it's over, Anakin. I have the higher ground. Anakin nevertheless jumped over and up to continue the fight and promptly got his legs cut off. 
While Obi-Wan literally had the higher ground as a vantage point in the fight, I think the dialogue might have had a double meaning. Higher ground or high ground or high road are phrases we use when a person takes a morally superior position. Obi-Wan was reminding Anakin that he was standing on the moral high ground. There's some moral geography in our text. After being nearly beaten to death by a hostile mob, Paul asked permission to address them. When we read his remarks in subsequent studies, we'll see he reached out in love to them with the gospel of Jesus Christ. His physical vantage point was the higher ground of the stairs that led up to the fortress of Antonia. But the spiritual higher ground was Paul's decision to minister God's grace to people who hated him enough to almost kill him. Something that the angry mob said may have cleared the cobwebs from his beating and focused Paul back on the gospel. As he was being carried by the soldiers up the stairs, the crowd was crying out, away with him. It was eerily reminiscent of a previous crowd almost 30 years earlier. As Pontius Pilate struggled to release Jesus, that crowd cried, away with him, away with him, crucify him. Jesus went to the cross. He took the ultimate spiritual high ground that assured him victory over sin and death as our Savior. The cross incited non-believers to hate. It invited one believer, Paul, to love. It ought to invite all believers to love, even those who hate them. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, taking the high ground of the cross incites non-believers to hate you. And number two, taking the high ground of the cross invites you to love non-believers. Let's take a look first of all in verses 26 through 36. Taking the high ground of the cross incites non-believers to hate you. The leaders at the church in Jerusalem had asked Paul to participate in a temple ritual in order to show the Jews that he was not teaching against the law of Moses. Paul complied. His philosophy was to become all things to all men that he might be in a better position to share with them about Jesus. He never compromised anything essential about faith or doctrine, but if he could uh, become something to someone in order to not offend them, it gave him a foothold from which to preach to them. And so we're picking up the story in verse 26. Let's begin reading there again. Then Paul took the men, and the next day, having been purified with them, entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. Now when the seven days were almost ended, the Jews from Asia, seeing him in the temple, stirred up the whole crowd and laid hands on him, crying out, men of Israel, help. This is the man who teaches all men everywhere against the people, the law, and this place. And furthermore, he has also brought Greeks into the temple and has defiled this holy place, for they had previously seen Trophimus the Ephesian with him in the city, whom they supposed that Paul had brought into the temple." It was during the celebration of the Feast of Pentecost. Jews from all over the Roman Empire would be in Jerusalem, swelling its population. Some were there from the city of Ephesus. They recognized Trophimus, a traveling companion of Paul's, from Ephesus. Whether they assumed Paul had brought him into the temple area forbidden to Gentiles or just fabricated the accusation, it was the perfect opportunity to attack Paul. He was alone and defenseless, surrounded by hostiles. 
Paul was attempting to dispel the rumors that he was teaching all men everywhere against the people, the law, and the temple, yet he was accused of doing exactly what he was trying to show them he was not doing. If you are a Christian, you should count on being misunderstood at best, mistreated at worst. Like it or not, there is a spiritual battle going on all around you for the souls of men and women. Your very presence is a potential problem for the devil and his demons. Non-believers may see Jesus in you. You may share Christ with them. So all the while, there are strategies being developed against you. Many of you have read C.S. Lewis's uh, classic book, The Screwtape Letters. There's a section in there where uh, Screwtape, who is a fictional head demon, is talking to a trainee, and uh, he talks about how if we can just keep people from thinking about eternity or thinking about God or thinking about Christ, we've done our job because they will walk into a Christless eternity. And so when you add a Christian to that mix, you're at the, in that neighborhood or in that office or in that classroom, there is a potential that people will see in you Jesus Christ, the hope of glory, or that you would actually share with them about Jesus Christ, and so you become a target. Now, normally when we talk about spiritual warfare, we have in mind that, uh, you know, something that's going on directly against us, uh, but really a lot of it has to do with others around you. It comes against you because of others around you who potentially you might minister to. And so there is a very serious warfare going on all of the time, all around you. It is our reaction to these misunderstandings and mistreatments that is highlighted in these verses. Our natural reaction is fight or flight. Remember that from, was this, I guess it's a science question on are you smarter than a fifth grader, but... Um, I'm not, by the way, and I don't think those are elementary school questions. Anyway, uh, they're, uh, you know, fight or flight. Uh, we either want to defend ourselves when we're misunderstood or mistreated, or we want to remove ourselves from the situation when we're misunderstood or mistreated. The Holy Spirit who indwells us as Christians will suggest a third reaction, faith that takes a stand by sharing the love of Jesus Christ with those who attack us. And so, if anything else today, if nothing else today, we want to raise our awareness of, of the fact that when I'm living just what I consider my normal day-to-day -day life, there is a spiritual warfare, it involves the souls of other men and women, and many times they are taken captive by the devil, the Bible says, to do his will. They're not possessed. They just are in a position where they are used to attack me, to mistreat me, to misunderstand me. I almost always want to defend myself or get out of the situation. And God might say, take your stand for Jesus Christ and make it a stand that shows love to the very people that are trying to do this to you. It's a very powerful reaction. In Paul's case, the attack happened to be physical. Verse 30, and all the city was disturbed. The people ran together, seized Paul, dragged him out of the temple, and immediately the doors were shut. They drug Paul out of the area around the inner temple where only Jews were allowed, and they drug him out into what was called the court of the Gentiles. Then they closed the doors that led out of the court of the Gentiles, probably to prevent any outside help from getting in 
to Paul. Now the crowd intended to kill him, but they didn't want to do it on holy ground. And so we commend them for that. If it sounds hypocritical, that's because it was. Hey, let's kill this guy, but not here. That would be irreverent. Let's take him outside and kill him where it doesn't matter. Religion leads people into hypocrisy. In many cases, the non-believers who you are around have some religious beliefs. They, it might be an organized religion. It might be one of the world religions. Uh, it might be some f- personal form of religion that people end up with from graduating from UC Berkeley or places like that. It could be a, what we would consider a secular religion like secular humanism or uh, the theory of evolution. It could be a philosophy, but people have something that they live by and all of those somethings at some point promote some kind of good works that will merit my getting into heaven or being accepted into some afterlife. When you come along, you incite, or at least have the possibility of inciting these people against you because your message is God loves you and wants to have a personal relationship with you, but you are a sinner separated from God and you need to confess your sin and receive Christ as your Savior. Now, at some point, a person realizes that you're telling them that they are on a par with other sinners and that there's no good really in them that can get them to heaven. And quite often, a lot of people react negatively to that kind of assessment of their life. They say things like, are you saying I'm as bad as Charles Manson? To which you say, not quite. But that's what you mean. I mean, obviously, it's, you know, you didn't lead people into murder and destruction, and all, but you're still not going to heaven. You, you, you can get closer, but you're still 10 million miles away. And, and so people get angry about that. They don't, when, um, when religious groups and, and uh, people with belief systems get together and they have these conferences and stuff, they don't invite the evangelical fundamental Christians because they don't like us. Because we're the ones there who say all of this is bogus uh, because Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life. And we do it, though, because we love them. Uh, we do it the way you, you would stop to help somebody who was just in a car accident ahead of you. Uh, hey, maybe there is aid I could render. Maybe I could save this person's life. Uh, and, 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 and yet people don't want to be saved often, and they are incited against you. And so in verse 31, now as they were seeking to kill him, news came to the commander of the garrison that all Jerusalem was in an uproar. He immediately took soldiers and centurions and ran down to them. And when they saw the commander and the soldiers, they stopped beating Paul. Rome kept soldiers adjacent to the temple in a structure called the Fortress of Antonia. The commander of the garrison responded with at least two centurions, which meant there were about 200 armed Roman soldiers. Verse 33, then the commander came near and took him and commanded him to be bound with two chains. And he asked who he was and what he had done. And some among the multitude cried one thing and some another. So when he could not ascertain the truth because of the tumult, he commanded him to be taken into the barracks. It was a tense, violent, volatile situation. 
Paul was taken into protective custody. This was just good police work. True, Paul was innocent, but being handcuffed was for his own good, for the crowd's own good, and for what cops like to call officer safety. They were taking control of the situation so that no one would be hurt. They did a really good job. Verse 35, when he reached the stairs, he had to be carried by the soldiers because of the violence of the mob, for the multitude of the people followed after, crying out, away with him. The stairs presented a strategic problem for the soldiers. They afforded the mob a place to crush in against them to mount a last effort to get at Paul. And so they literally carried Paul up the stairs, protecting him. Away with him. They didn't realize it, but they were really shouting at Jesus. It was the influence of Jesus in Paul. It was the Jesus Paul shared, the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the power that was in him that incited their hatred. Merely being a Christian will sometimes incite others to hate you. As I indicated earlier, it's a spiritual thing. It happens in a spiritual realm. Thus, you ought to expect to be misunderstood and mistreated. Jesus once said to us, John 15, verse 18, if the world hates you, know that it hated me before it hated you. And the if there is since. It's to be expected that you will be at some time and in some place hated by people that surround you. It is really critical we understand that there is always something going on around us in that spiritual realm. Whether we've said anything or not, our presence represents the cross of Jesus Christ. The cross is offensive to non-believers. It exposes them as sinners in desperate need of salvation. If they could, some of them would drag you out of your office or out of your classroom or out of your home and they would beat you to death. This happens in other parts of the world. We read about it. Hopefully we pray for these Christians in other parts of the world that are uh, really suffering intense persecution just for being Christians, just for being citizens of heaven. They're not protesting. They're not trying to overthrow governments. They're not revolutionaries. In most cases, they are the best citizen in their country, in their village. But because of the hatred that people have against Christ and His message of salvation, they become the targets of beatings and, uh, and murder. And, and um, it's not hard to find where this is happening all over the world today. What ought our reaction to be when we're misunderstood or mistreated? Well, it ought to be love. And in verses 37 through 40, we'll see taking the high ground of the cross invites you to love non-believers. If I'm Paul... I'm thankful for the Roman authorities, and I just want to get out of there as quickly as possible. But I'm not Paul. He had other thoughts entirely. Verse 37, then as Paul was about to be led into the barracks, and I would say into safety, he said to the commander, may I speak to you? And he replied, can you speak Greek? One of the great rhetorical questions of all time. He just spoke to him in Greek. Can you speak Greek? No. Uh, Unbelievable. His body bruised and bleeding. Paul was thinking about how he could turn this into an evangelistic crusade. To him, the multitude, the mob, was the mass of lost humanity needing to hear the good news about Jesus. 
The beating he sustained at their hand was only proof of their need for salvation. Paul is a remarkable man, but he's just a man filled with the Holy Spirit. The, the commander here, a noble man, is later identified as Claudius Lysias. That's in Acts 22, verse 28. He was surprised his prisoner could speak Greek. He was surprised because he assumed Paul was a notorious Egyptian criminal. Verse 38, are you not the Egyptian who some time ago stirred up a rebellion and led the 4,000 assassins out into the wilderness? Apparently, he had been watching Jerusalem's Most Wanted, and uh, he was looking for this Egyptian criminal. Now, the Jewish historian Josephus describes in his writings a group of insurrectionist Jewish assassins. They were called the Sicarii because they carried these small knives, uh, either called Sikai or Sikar. Uh, you know, we talked about how everybody here carries knives, but not for the same purpose. <laughs> these guys would get next to their targets in a crowd, and they would knife them and then move away, uh, killing them and inciting terror and violence. Now, one of their leaders, an Egyptian, had led an open rebellion and confronted the Roman uh, soldiers. But when the soldiers overcame them, the Egyptian and 4,000 of his assassins had escaped out into the wilderness. He was still wanted. And the Roman soldier, uh, the Roman uh, uh, commander, he couldn't imagine that all of this upwork, uh, uproar could be about a religious idea, uh, or Paul the Apostle, or something like that. He must, he assumed that that you know he had a real criminal on his hands. Now Paul said, "I am a Jew from Tarshish." In verse thirty-nine, in Cilicia, I'm a citizen of no mean city, and I implore you, permit me to speak to the people. Tarshish was considered a free Roman city. I don't know all of the levels of Roman cityhood, but uh, there were you know Rome had conquered the known world, and different cities and different areas enjoyed different position and status. Tarshish was an important free Roman city. So a Jew from Tarshish had certain rights under the Roman law that a Jew from other cities did not have. Later on, again in chapter 22, we're going to see Claudius Lysias about to interrogate Paul, and their program of interrogation was to scourge you, to beat you until you told them what they wanted to hear. At that point, Paul reveals that he is a full-fledged Roman citizen. And so he gives his uh, you know, citizenship status in stages. This is to remind us that Paul only used his rights under the law in order to further the gospel. He never demanded his rights in his own defense. And this is a good principle for us to remember. We live in the greatest country in the world. I am thankful for our rights as a people and their guarantee in the Constitution of the United States and the Bill of Rights. Uh, we have many legal means available to us. Even a lot of the crazy things that you hear about in the news and read about, you have to step back philosophically at least and say, that's what makes America great. A person can say that, a person can do that, and, and you know we have this free society. And there are times when we want to exercise our rights and use our rights, no doubt about that. But as a Christian, here's what we have to factor in. You have become a citizen of heaven, 
an ambassador of heaven, a slave to Jesus Christ, a voluntary slave, but a slave nonetheless. And therefore, we should exercise our rights as American citizens or whatever country you happen to be from in subordination to what God wants us to do and say to further the gospel of Jesus Christ. All to say that many times our first reaction when being misunderstood or mistreated is to demand our rights. At work, it's not uncommon to be mistreated and to immediately go to your union steward you're going to get to the bottom of this. They can't treat me like this. I have rights. That is fine. And that, in many cases, is going to be a valid way of handling a dispute. There have to be times, though, when the Holy Spirit is going to tell you in His still small voice, don't fight, don't flight, take a stand by faith, love these people, reveal the gospel to them. They may not even get saved. This crowd will see turns on Paul again, but that's not the issue. The issue is the revelation of the love of Jesus Christ, love that only he can produce in the heart of a person who is willing to give up their rights or at least to subordinate them to the greater good of preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Permit me to speak to the people, Paul said, physically weakened and perhaps even in a state of shock, Paul nevertheless wanted to address the still angry mob. Have you ever been beaten up? Some of you have, some worse than others. Uh, I got beat up one time pretty bad when uh, I was in high school and our football team played their home games at a off-site venue the, uh, at the Orange Show, which was our version of the King's Fair at the bowl there. And there was an unwritten, unspoken understanding that once the game was over, you left with the mass of people that were leaving. You were one big, large mass of humanity finding your car and getting out of there. Uh, And if you were a straggler, uh, you were were in trouble. Uh, Gangs and different individuals that would hang around. Well, my friend Steve Kassler and myself, we for reasons I don't want to go into right now, uh, hung around too long uh, after one of the home games that we were playing there, and we just got the snot beat out of us. Uh, The only thing positive about it was that I didn't feel most of it uh, until the next day, and then I thought, what happened to me? I mean, I was just beat up, and uh, some of you know how you're just not in the mood to say, excuse me, Permit me to speak to these hostile crowd. I mean, it just, it's just mind-blowing, you know? So in verse 40, so when he had given him permission, Paul stood on the stairs and motioned with his hand to the people, and when there was a great silence, he spoke to them in the Hebrew language. For my reading, this is the most powerful verse in the whole text. There was an authority a spiritual authority in this moment that God granted this apostle. 200 armed Roman soldiers could control the crowd but only with the threat of force. And then even going up the stairs, it was touch and go. But one bruised, beaten Christian with the wave of his hand 
and the authority of his voice could quiet a multitude, including the soldiers, who must have wondered what is going on. The Spirit-filled man, when led by the Spirit, has heaven's authority. Now, there are going to be moments in your life when you can command the attention of an audience. It may be an audience of one. It may be several. You, you and I need to become more sensitive to those times. <laughs> you see Paul in this magnificent scene, and you think, I could never do that. But it's, you don't have to do that. God's not asking you to do that. It's an argument from the greater to the lesser in the sense that if God could give this man that kind of authority, if he could say, let me speak, and the Roman soldiers in charge of, of that situation bowed to his authority, and the crowd bowed to his authority, then how much more you and I may be with one person at home or five people in an office or 30 kids in a classroom or whatever it is, we'll find times when we can command a heavenly authority to speak for a brief period of time, to share our testimony or the gospel of Jesus Christ. I had a moment like this not long ago with uh, some guys, and it was, just, it was just wonderful. It only lasted about three minutes, but uh, it was just like everybody in the room was completely quiet and enthralled by this uh, gospel presentation. It was all very spontaneous. It blew my mind. And, and, and I think that we need to expect those moments. We can't create them, but we can expect them. How... how how did this happen for Paul? Well, Jake mentioned it a little bit earlier. His heart, his focus, his attention, it was all on sharing Christ. And so it didn't matter if you wanted to beat him up, uh, he would just keep coming. He just wanted to go the distance with you, you know. He's kind of like the Rocky Balboa of, of the apostles, you know. Knock him down, he gets, a, you're going to have to kill me or I'm going to keep sharing Christ with you. You need Christ. I'm going to kill you. That only shows how much you need Christ. And, and he was just dialed in on that. If we will ask the Lord, Lord, give me people to share with. Give me a heart to love people, especially the most unlovable people. Instead of wanting to quit my job, get out of my class, leave my neighborhood, give me a love for these people. These are the very people. Hey, if I'm not at my job, think of it this way. When you, you, know, when you want to get out of your job situation because you're being mistreated or misunderstood, what Christian wants, you know, who are you giving that over to? I mean, imagine if you could have an interview with the, you know, the next Christian who's going to take your place. Hey, what's going on here? I hate it here. I hate my boss. I hate my fellow employees. I hate everybody here. They're, they're mean and they're doing this. They pass me over for promotion, all this. Have a great day with all that. Well, what are you talking about? He said, well, I, I don't want to be filled with the Spirit. I don't want to stand by faith. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to work with Christians. And uh, that's all going to be great uh, and stuff. And, and so you, hey, have it. This is a lion's den for you. It, it, it's, it, you're the person. Show that love. Take that higher ground. As they shouted away with him, Paul was gripped with their great need to hear about the cross upon which their Savior had died for them. So what? They had beaten him. So what? They had attempted to murder him. As I said, it was all to be expected. They needed help from the very person they hated. 
Your coworkers or fellow students or neighbors are probably not going to physically attack you as a mob. But since you are a Christian, you are the target of spiritual warfare, and the non-believers you encounter can and will be used against you. First, be certain you don't bring persecution on yourself. If you're blowing it at work or in school or at home, it isn't persecution. It's just blowing it. And so, you know, if you're chronically late to work, if you're a deadbeat student, uh, if you're not, you know, if you're just sitting around the house not doing what you're supposed to do, it isn't persecution when you get fired, flunked out, or your wife turns the TV off or disconnects the cable during the Super Bowl. Oh, no. <laughs> Actually, more women are watching the Super Bowl now. I think it's about, the audience is about 40%. But uh, I don't know why. I know everything. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) So don't, you know, if you're being persecuted, if you're you're just blowing it, you're not being persecuted. But if you are walking with the Lord, seeking to serve him, then you are a target. If you could see yourself from a spiritual vantage point, you'd see that you're in the crosshairs. And sometimes they pull the trigger because you are, are the hope that a non-believer has, they don't even know it, of hearing about the gospel of Jesus Christ, seeing the difference it makes to be a Christian and then hearing about how it's possible to come into that life. Being a Christian incites hatred from non-believers. The cross speaks to them of their sin, but it, of course, also preaches to them of God's free gift of salvation. The cross preaches most effectively to non-believers when you take its high ground and are invited to love even those who are incited to hate you. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these things. We uh, stand amazed at the life and ministry of the Apostle Paul. Lord, we want to remind ourselves this morning he was just a spirit-filled man that we have the same Holy Spirit indwelling us if we're believers, the same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead, that indwelt Paul, indwells us. And if we will just humble ourselves before you, I believe, Lord, that you will use us in greater ways to your glory and to our immense spiritual satisfaction. I pray, Lord, that we would remember that we are first citizens of heaven, servants of the Most High God, voluntary slaves of Jesus Christ, and that we would use our rights and privileges in this great country and the various laws that we have, that we would use those to the advantage of sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that our hearts would be towards those even who hate us. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. All right, let's stand together. Guys are up here to pray with you after the service. Cafe is open. Bookstore, of course, is where you can get tickets to the Cool Wine Fundraiser. Last day to get your tickets to the Valentine's Banquet, the Beloved's Banquet. We have about 10 spots left, or we did uh, when service started. So if you're thinking about going to that, uh, we're going to have some fun there this year. In addition to all of our normal stuff, we have a a live uh, string quartet that's going to be playing to add to the romance of the evening. And uh, I've got some special worship and also it'll be a really fun time. So if you're on the fence about whether to go there or to uh, Farmer Boys, uh, 
which it costs about the same, by the way, I've noticed. Uh, come on out to the Beloved's Banquet. Wednesday morning, we will be in the cafe for the men's fellowship from 6.30 to 7.15. Wednesday night, our Ignite service at 7 o'clock. Uh, it's something that you don't want to miss. May God bless you. May he keep you. In Jesus' name, amen.